Seven. Seven. Chris, the topic we will be discussing today is how do you make in-game travel interesting? <laughs> it's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> We're about to find out. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics relating to running games. My name is Chris Salzman. My name is Andy Rao. And we are coming at you live from the quarantine. Indeed we are. <laughs> um, yeah, so it is it is April 14th. Um, at this point, we, Andy and I are both in Michigan, so we've been in shelter in place for a month or so. Um, That's like a, little... a subjective like 78 years, but yes, continue. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So this this podcast will not be all about that, but um, we just wanted to get that out up front, just so everybody understands why we are probably a little loopy and or um, antisocial or you know, <laughs> yes. what have you as we're going through this. Um, but yeah, so we, we do want to talk about the topic at hand. But before that, we wanted to dive into a little bit about what Andy have you been doing, gaming wise and like media wise. You know, what have you been planning? What have you been playing? Those sorts of things. Yeah. Well. Um... I guess I should first mention, maybe you've had this experience too, despite imagining when this whole social distancing thing started that I would have lots of time and energy for like fun stuff, uh, that I found that I feel more harried and stressed somehow, despite <laughs> having less errands to run and things like that. So all that to say, yeah. it the pandemic has not turned into the glorious like gaming vacation that part of me sort of imagined it would. Mm -hmm. But I have gotten a little bit of game stuff in. Uh, if you guys, if you listener were listening to our last episode, uh, we talked about some of the online games we were hoping to run. The online games mm -hmm. I talked about haven't panned out yet because we're kind of waiting on people to get their characters created and all that. So the only gaming mm -hmm. I've done in the last couple of weeks is I've run a couple sessions of Dungeon Crawl Classics for my family. It's my wife and my preteen daughter and my elementary school aged son. So... Mm -hmm. And that has been pretty fun. Very fun. <laughs> yeah. So, And this was my son's first introduction to um, role-playing of any sort. I've, I've run a couple of little sessions of things for him in the past, but this is the first time I sat. I really sat him down and said, here's your character, here's what you're going to do. And we mm -hmm. played a multi-session adventure from start to finish. So that's what that's I've been super doing. super great. Did he, get, did he get into it? So we played two sessions. Uh, you know, we split the adventure in half. It was just a real simple dungeon crawl. The first session, it was pretty clear he, he didn't know what to to really he was supposed to be doing, and and he was kind of acting up a little bit because of it. And then by the second time, he was much more um, much more business like. I guess he he understood what he was supposed <laughs> to be doing. Um, in the in the first game we played with him, I mean, he is. He's doing a real a silly thing that like young kids will do when they don't understand or when they're nervous about a situation. So the silliness factor was a little high. But by the time the second half rolled around, he was playing seriously. So I'm not going to like push him to play more D&D &D unless he really wants to. But I don't know. I hope he enjoyed it enough. I have a feeling that we'll be seeing him at the game table again. That's super great. Yeah, you, sh you shared uh, um, that he gave himself a couple of magic items or just normal items yeah <laughs> yes fish, uh, fish related things i don't know if you want to talk yes he uh i unfortunately told him to fill in some details on the character sheet himself and so when i scrutinized the character sheet to make sure all was in order i discovered that he had two weapons 
a happy fish and an angry fish, and he had already noted one of the treasures he had uh, found, which was a poop. So, uh, oh, okay. yeah, we'll keep yeah. this, you know, PG rated, but uh, suffice it to say, <laughs> uh, everything, every action he attempted to do in the game involved one of those fish or the poop. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was what that was what we uh, kind of he got that out of his system in the first game. And then by the second game, <laughs> it's a little bit more serious. He was using real weapons uh, and trying yeah. to do realistic things. So. That's great. I kind of feel like even adults should have that that one session where you just just do the weird stuff, and then oh, totally. Then, then the second session, you can kind of restart your character, <laughs> you know, maybe respec things out, and get going from there. I hadn't thought of that, but yes, it was like the blowing off steam, you know, episode, the blowing off steam session. You know, I wanted to mention something else because it might dovetail with some stuff I've seen you chatting about on the Roll for Topic Discord, mm-hmm. uh, which is yeah. I have started reading some of the Hawkmoon novels oh um, nice yeah so yeah i uh i got kind of the bug to introduce my daughter to michael moorcock but i just couldn't remember how age appropriate some of the elric stuff is i think it mostly is but mm. i think it does drift mm. into like slightly less age appropriate stuff for her. so i remember hawkman being a little bit more heroic like mm-hmm. he's a little bit more of a good guy than elric yeah so yeah we've we've just read a little bit of it um all of Michael Moorcock's novels are so full of like stuff you want to to play, worlds you want to play a game in, and characters you want to encounter in a role playing game. It's really fun to read. So, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. So we were we were chatting about fantasy novel covers, like the, just the covers on on fantasy novels yes. recently. So I pulled down. I have a, a collection of Albert novels that I've been collecting over the years, a very particular kind of like set of covers. Yep. And they're just like these wonderful pieces of fantasy art yes. to look at, <clears throat> you know, just like super cheesy, like super over the top, but like at the same time, just like, yeah, that's cool. Like I want to be, I want to be part of that world. <laughs> yeah. It's really evocative. Yeah. You know, imagine, mm-hmm. I know which covers you mean. They're just, they're sort of like phantasmagoric almost like have this sort mm-hmm. of weird uh, dreamlike vibe to them and they look great. Imagine, you know, like the 1980s mass market fantasy version of Elric, you know, it would yeah. be so bland compared to the really dopey looking Elric on your book covers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah, some of these covers really remind me of of Final Fantasy, like concept art. Oh, you know, so there's a, the artist who did like the concept art for like Final Fantasy VI, for example, Amano. I think his name is, it's worth looking up sometime. They're just these really like dreamy almost impressionistic like character concepts yeah and stuff right like so the you know the actual game itself right doesn't totally get to kind of the the majesty i guess you could say of that <laughs> of that art but right it's very evocative when you look at it you just get the sense of who these characters are and things like that um yeah and these elric covers are very very similar but yeah so uh so speaking of final fantasy i guess the the kind of the big event in in my life in, in gaming is the final fantasy 7 remake came out yeah so i've been playing that that obsessively um and you know like i think there's there's a conversation that happens a lot in like video games and role-playing games uh, like tabletop role-playing games about like them informing each other mm-hmm. quite a bit right so like people want to play D like it's a video game or you know play a video game that's D, <laughs> things like that back and forth but um so playing the remake is really interesting because there's all sorts of like little side quests and stuff that feel very like tabletop role-playing games mm. i think one of the very first things 
that they did in this remake is, you know, go on a hunt to find all these little, like these cats that a little girl had lost hmm. in the city. Right. You know, it's something that's like, it's this like throwaway little quest, but it gets you kind of running around this massive city that there's, you know, it's big enough that you going to take you some time to explore and all that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's also like, it's not a very video gamey thing, right. To just, you know, run around and, and look at, <laughs> yep. find some cats. Totally. Or I guess it is now. Right. Like, and that's the sort of thing that I think came from, from tabletop then back into. Yeah. Um, into video games. I'm so. having a picture of our different childhoods, Chris. Yes. While you were coming of age playing a game where your first quest is to go find a bunch of cats that are lost. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was playing Baldur's Gate where your first quest is, all right, go into the basement and kill a lot of rats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, to be clear, this this cat scenario is only in the remake. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. I take yeah, it. I'll, I'll need to point you towards my blog where I'm cataloging all the differences oh, between the, the original and the remake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Let, well, let's dive into our, our topic at hand um, before we just, before I talk about Final Fantasy VII for the rest of our time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, I just rolled down the table um, and audibly groaned when I landed on, on seven for how do I make in-game travel interesting? So Andy, I'm sure we've talked about this in the podcast before, but I have yet to find a way to make travel interesting. Um, and I don't know if I'm just a broken GM or something like that, but, <laughs> well, um, that probably I, goes without saying, have... but yes. Uh... Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, it's kind of the whole conceit of the show is right. Is, is making us better at That's this right. thing. We... The, the whole uh, show is, love. is a cry for help. Uh, but yeah. yeah, essentially. But yeah. Um, so I am just wondering if you have any stories about a time where like a time where in-game travel was interesting at your table or any tips and tricks. Probably not, but I do have a few thoughts, but let, can I change that question around a little bit and ask you, sure. uh, mm -hmm. so describe to me how travel happens in the games you've played and like, mm. let's try and figure out why it's so boring. Oh, that's a super good question. So I think the way that I've done done travel you know so there's a couple ways i've done it so one is i just sort of wing it and that ends up being a little bit more fun but the the way that i've done it that just seems boring to me is sort of how the how the D, &D books want you to to do it is you're traveling and then every once in a while you're rolling on a table yeah to decide that something has happened right or you know that nothing has happened for whatever reason, the tension for that is just totally lost for me when I'm doing that because it feels somewhat arbitrary, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're taking this journey that's maybe taking a week or something and you're distilling it down to seven or 10, 10 dice rolls, um, on a table. Um, so I think like narratively it becomes a little tricky to connect all those things together. And also it's just sort of like, well, I don't know, like, what's the point? You know, like really what, what have we done? What have we learned to really advance the story? I think that that is a pretty common experience of travel. And just to be clear, I, I'm not setting myself up as a travel, D&D <laughs> uh, &D travel expert. But yeah, when I when I was a kid playing and running games for my friends, we did, you know, because we didn't know that you didn't have to, we religiously used that travel system mm -hmm. for the games we played. So every X miles, we'd roll for random encounters. It was, you know, this mix of like often pretty uneventful. Occasionally it would have very stupid and nonsensical results, but sometimes it would result in these random encounters that were really memorable for whatever reason. 
in most of my games these days, I would say, you know, I, I wing it like you do. I mean, I don't have a lot of insight here except to say that in the last year or two, I have run some games where travel was more fun. And <laughs> the game in particular, although it's, I'm sure it's not the only game where travel was fun, is the One Ring role-playing game. Mm -hmm. um, and that feels very appropriate because so much of the Lord of the Rings is traveling. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're just excited by the Balrog parts and the orc fights. Mm -hmm. But if you reread it as an adult, you realize how much of the heart of those stories is in just the, is in the travel and in the experience of travel. And um, the role playing game kind of makes a mini game out of travel, which is why it's somewhat interesting. I don't know if it was amazingly fun. Like, I don't know if you would play just this travel mini game, you know, if you didn't have to. Yeah. But I won't go into all the details on the travel system, partly because I don't remember all of the details because <laughs> yeah. we've been quarantined for, for years. But um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think what it came down to is that the One Ring introduces some elements of some choices that you have to make in traveling. Uh, and, it, and it has real consequences for kind of traveling poorly or for getting unlucky in your travel. So in that game, you chart your path, you look at the map, you choose the route you're going to take, which is it is often the case that there's like a quick route that goes through dangerous territory where there's a high risk of nasty encounters, and there's a longer route that is a little bit safer. Mm -hmm. And you have to choose your you choose your pace and you roll on a regular basis for like possible encounters and they spread the encounter, they spread the rolling across like all the members of the party. And you have to assign the different members in your party, like kind of a travel role. So somebody's like the scout, somebody is the hunter and, you know, the responsible for finding food and stuff like that. So in the course of a typical journey, you know, everybody kind of gets a chance to roll and have them contribute a little bit towards keeping the party healthy. And then when you get to your destination, Depending on how well those roles went and what encounters you had in the way, you could be starting your adventure like exhausted and kind of low on resources, or you could be starting it fresh and you know raring to go. So I've 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 glided over a lot of the uh, details, but yeah, what makes it interesting is there's just enough decisions you have to make that feel like they are meaningful, and it starts mm -hmm. with like which one of us should be the hunter. You know, and you, so everyone's checking their skill sheet to see who has the best skill that's related to that. Yeah, I feel like usually in D&D travel, you don't really ask those questions. You don't, you know, how mm -hmm. hard are you going to push yourselves? Which of these couple different options for a route are you going to take? You know, how much food are you going to bring with you? We just usually don't ask those questions for D&D. And so the DM just kind of wings it, maybe does one or two like perfunctory rolls for like an orc ambush. <laughs> You know, but yeah. it's never much more interesting than that. So, um, all right, I've yeah, been babbling that's... for a long time. So, um, choices. Yeah. I think I think giving players choices during travel is important. One thing that you said that I really liked is you know there's sort of like an easy path or a easy path or a hard path that you're you're presenting to the players. I think yeah, oftentimes when when travel comes up in the games that I've run, it's it's very much like a there's a point A to point B sort of thing. You just have to get there. Yeah. There's one road to go there. Go ahead and do it, right? You're powerful heroes at this point, so it's, it's, it's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> right? You'll you'll encounter a couple things. Going back to something I said about like winging it here and there, the the one thing that I've started doing, which is 
you know, off book a bit is just going through the table and picking a couple of interesting, interesting scenarios mm-hmm. that, that jump out to me and just running those. Right. And then kind of stringing them together yeah. in, in some fashion or otherwise. Yeah. Just, just sort of jumping over the, like, okay, now we're going to stop and see what's going to happen in the next four hours. Cause we have to, right. Cause you have, <laughs> it's a three day journey. Yeah. I'm wondering too, this is also going back to what you were saying about like the, the old school hex crawl. Sounds like most of the games that we're both running are very sort of narrative focused in that, right? Like it's kind of like the story is the most important thing. Yeah. I wonder if travel would just be inherently more interesting if it was a hex crawl, if it's sort of like, if the point of it was just dungeon delving, getting all the treasure, that sort of stuff, because then travel at that point is just like, that's just sort of another dungeon yeah. in between your, your checkpoints. Yeah. Which makes me wonder, it's like, yeah, if, if relinquishing some of that, like desire for combat, <laughs> right. Yeah. Over, yeah. Over having, having like a little bit more narrative and story. If you then kind of lose out on that being an, an interesting part of the game. I think, and not to just continually dwell on the one ring thing, but I think in any system when you're running travel and your players are on long journeys where they'll have many possible encounters, I think you should look seriously into how you can like really abstract those encounters. Mm -hmm. Because I don't really think you want to spend a whole evening, you know, like breaking out the combat map for like the third goblin, you know, the third (laughs) like low tier scuffle with goblins or, or, you know, roaming forest creatures. One reason the One Ring's journey system works is because there is a mechanic that sort of tracks, I guess, for lack of a better word, like player exhaustion levels, your mental your mental health and your exhaustion levels. And it's kind of hard to represent in D&D the real effect of like a difficult journey, which is exhaustion and just you're dispirited, you're tired, you're worn out you know, you've been pushed to the limit and you are like kind of until you get a chance to really recover, you are just not going to per- perform very well. And D&D, I know D&D has some mechanics for like being exhausted. And mm-hmm. but really the the only metric most D&D games use is like hit points. And mm-hmm. it's so trivial for most parties of D&D characters to restore their lost hit points or even to just get rid of negative conditions like exhaustion that a long journey that exhausts you doesn't really have much bite in default mm-hmm. D&D because as soon as they get to the end of the journey their cleric will just fix whatever you know conditions <laughs> you've imposed on them you know so yeah. if you want to make uh, travel a big deal I think you need to find some kind of consequence for travel that doesn't go well you know that the players mm-hmm. will be really motivated to try and avoid and I don't know yeah. what that would be in d and I don't know. Does any of this spark any thoughts uh, in your mind? It does. And it, it kind of gets down to a little bit more of like a philosophical question to me. It's like, so like, what is the purpose of, of even playing the travel part of it? Yeah. Right. So like, you know, a lot of D&D ends up happening inside of like set piece maps of some sort. Right. So you're in a city, you're in a dungeon, you're in a castle, those sorts of things. And it's... Everything is sort of tuned around that too, right? If you are in a gigantic open field, right, a lot of your your strategies and stuff can change quite a bit because you can just run away in another direction, yeah. right? There's no doors to stop, you know, to stop you, anything like that, right? So, I mean, like, the, the philosophical question is then, like, so, like, why have travel at all? Like, why not just say, like, okay, and now you're in this place or, okay, like, you know, you've teleported or, you know, do something else like that. And I think 
it, it is that Lord of the Rings style. Like you want them to feel the journey. Like you want to have that, that journey mm-hmm. and feel like you, you've really traveled. Um, yeah. You don't you know, want them like, to feel like they've just yeah. teleported like across the continent. Yeah. Right. You know, or maybe, yeah, maybe right. you don't. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think you don't. I mean, I think there's various ways that I've seen it done. Like I think like the adventure zone had a really interesting way to handle this. So it's a, it's a actual play podcast that happened where they just had like a, a thing that kind of just shot them out of a cannon to different places. Right? Yep. <laughs> you know, um, you know, so it just, it skipped over travel, um, entirely in that way to me, right. The games that I've run have been grounded a bit more in sort of that, like, that fantasy of D and D where it is like, you do have to walk, right? Like there's teleport spells, but it's not like it's readily available mm-hmm. everywhere like that. So you have to walk or you have to ride horses or, or something like that. But it's making me wonder, it's like, you know, so if travel as rolling D twenties every once in a while is uninteresting, right? So you can approach it with maybe stringing together encounters that you have pre-planned um, yep. to make it more interesting, have something that's like time-based um, that they have to get get from point A to point B quickly, um, you know, or something's going to happen yeah. in the story if they they don't um, get there quick enough, or you know, there's, there's kind of other other sort of mechanisms you can put in place to where it's not just like a oh well we just took a short rest after every encounter and yeah. we're fine, yep, like that. Um, but you know, it's also making me wonder. It's like if if traveling using those sort of mechanics is uninteresting, like why not? switch to different mechanics, right? So like why not just impose the like one ring style stuff or switch to a totally different game yep. <laughs> entirely for the travel, you know, or make it a only role play focus. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, you don't need to have mechanics. I mean if you have players mm-hmm. that are buying into the premise, you can just say, hey, you're really exhausted and you yeah. know, play your character accordingly, you know, and, and a good player mm-hmm. will put in some effort into that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like I know I certainly would as a player. So you mentioned um tracking time. And I do think mm-hmm. that Travel is part of a bigger conversation about how you are sort of managing your campaign world. Because I think mm-hmm. travel is really the entering interestingness or lack thereof of travel is really connected to like whether you are tracking things like time, days and weeks and months in your campaign. If you're tracking the passage of the seasons, if you are doing all of that, travel can be an interesting thing that really plays into the experience of the setting, right? Um, mm-hmm. If they have to hurry to get somewhere before it snows, you know, that's interesting. It's more doable if you have a system for like mm-hmm. watching these things in your, if you're tracking them in your campaign world already. Uh, Gary Gygax has like a famously overwrought section in the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide where he r- basically rants that like, if you're not tracking time, in your campaign, you're like not even, you know, you're not even playing Dungeons and Dragons. So you're playing, yeah. you're playing a game for babies. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, but there is something to it. If you don't have an interest in the sort of larger scale tension that like the passage of time can create, then, you know, maybe, maybe travel isn't really something that's going to mm-hmm. add a lot to your campaign. Hmm. If you don't care about that stuff, if, if you don't enjoy that sort of detail, then, Sure, just narrate a little travel sequence and have them show up across the continent. You know, it doesn't really matter. Um, mm-hmm. I was thinking about this yeah. uh, because, again, in the Discord with some of our uh, past guests, I, there was some chatter about the uh, Tomb of Annihilation campaign for 5th edition D&D. That, it's a campaign, it's got a big hex map, and you're supposed to play by the rules and, you know, laboriously make your way across the map. Because the plot has a pretty tight time limit. And so those two things feed each other, right? 
that time limit has a real bite to it because it's going to take you so long to get to the places you want to go. And so that mm -hmm. imposes a, like difficult questions like, I think, you know, maybe we should go over here, but if it turns out to be the wrong place, we've just blown a whole week of our precious timeline. So mm -hmm. I think travel is probably best considered as part of a bigger, a bigger conversation about how you're managing like time and the seasons and Mm -hmm. Stuff like that in your campaign. There's okay. That's the end of my rant. Either I went off on a Gygaxian <laughs> monologue. Yeah, that was fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, it does. Yeah, that that does make me wonder, right? Like, because the campaigns that I'm running have been sort of out of the out of books for the most part, and I think that travel would probably just be more interesting, right? If it was a bit more of a sandbox campaign. If it was, if if sort of the story you were telling supported the like, oh, you got snowed in, so let's see what happens. Yep. <laughs> you know, with that. I probably railroad my players. It doesn't really bother me. I don't really see that as a terrible thing. You know, railroad them a little bit because, right, there's also, like, there's a book that we're, we're going through and that's, that's sort of guiding guiding some stuff. But if it was a bit more open, if it was just like a, yeah, we're going to kind of see what happens. There's a hex map. Yeah, we're tracking tracking some time so we can have, you know, some stuff that that happens at different points. I think it would be would be quite a bit more more compelling to get into the nitty-gritty of kind of day-by-day -day stuff. And this even gets down to things that I think a lot of GMs don't track. Like you had mentioned like rations and getting food mm -hmm. and stuff in the One Ring. I mean, that's just not not on my radar uh, in the games that, that I'm running. And I think part of that is just because we don't play all that often, right? We don't have... Where it's not like we're, we're getting together twice a week to play for three or four hours where we have the time and energy to track those sorts of things. This has given me just a lot of stuff to think about. I kind of am just leaning towards next time that travel comes up, just skipping it because <laughs> it's just like, well, if it's not, if it's not serving what, what it's, uh, you know, what the goal of the campaign is, why bother? I mean, I would say it is better to just skip it than to run boring, uninteresting travel sessions that no one, that don't contribute anything to the game. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it's worth asking, could this be an interesting part of the campaign? But if the answer mm -hmm. is that you don't really know how to do that, then yeah, just narrate the travel. I mean, I'm really like, I'm bagging on travel, but I've also had some really lovely game moments that's, that, that have come out of it too, for <laughs> whatever, for whatever reason. But yeah, it's just, it's like, I, when I think back about moments in games that I've really enjoyed, some of those have been in travel sequences. Some of them have been in like a very by the book dungeon, you know, five room dungeon sort of stuff. You know, it's just sort of like, I think, I think the, the, the magic of the table is not necessarily in exactly how you're, you're running each individual scenario and, and the game, yep. <laughs> the game. It's about how everybody's sort of reacting to it yeah. too. You know, so it's like if, if running travel, I'll speak for myself. So if, if, when I'm running travel, right, if, if what I'm finding is that it's not providing a high potential for kind of interesting engagement at the table, then you know, get rid of it, yeah. right? <laughs> do something else. Um, but, you know, like every time that I find something that does work, like, you know, try to do more of it. You know, one thing that travel can be useful for, even if you're not doing a hardcore, like tracking the month, the days of the month type of situation, is it is kind of a natural point in like stories to get those like casual character interactions. So, you know, the Lord of the Rings, think about all of the the little character moments that happen in the course of traveling, right? They don't mm -hmm. have character moments in the middle of the fight, you know, with the orcs. They have the character moments like during the, you know, 
you know, endless journey through the uh, old forest or whatever, right? Yeah. So, you know, I wonder, even if you plan to skip over combat, uh, uh, over travel for the most part, um, you know, you might want to just introduce a couple of sh- really short, like, role-playing opportunities. Like, mm-hmm. and don't make it a big scene that lasts an hour, but just, like, you come across, you see such and such a thing while you're traveling. What does your character, what does this make your character think? Or, um... <laughs> Throw a few little, um, a few little short scenes at your players to the extent that they want to. Let them role play just like a moment in their characters, you know, a quick little interaction, and then get on with it. Um, yeah. I, I, I haven't necessarily done that very effectively, but I have been in games. <laughs> I have played in games where the GMs would pause and say, "In the distance, you see whatever the tower. You know, you see a tower. What does it remind you of from your childhood? You know, and you mm. get a little quick little character moment." Maybe it's memorable, maybe it's not. Then you do that a couple times, and then you get your destination, and then you get to the, you know, back to the killing of orcs. Yeah, I was just going to ask if you have you done any sort of random encounters that you you can remember that weren't combat that you you like that you'd recommend other people throw in to their campaigns. Oh, honestly, it, not really. Um, there's so many great encounters you can add in, but I'm probably not the best source of it. When I was <laughs> yeah. when I was adhering most strictly to the like random encounter travel system, you know, I was playing games where really the only thing you were likely to encounter was something that wanted to kill you. So uh, yeah. um, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, but there's all sorts of opportunities for little non-combat um, encounters. It just depends on what your group will find fun. Yeah. How about you? You know, I'm trying to think. There's one little encounter that I ran that, that kind of came out of a random table. So they're fighting some hobgoblins or something like that. But I came up with a like a moderately interesting location for them <laughs> to have that. So they were traveling through a field, but you know, instead, uh, you know, I had like a an interesting rock formation that the hobgoblins were using to to shoot arrows. Yeah at them from from quite a distance so the the party had to figure out like how to get over there right and then how to deal with the hobgoblins but then after that you know the rock structure was such that there was kind of all these little natural caves and stuff in there Oh, nice right so they could either just move on or they could you know explore around and so i put you know a piece of you know a treasure treasure chest in there if they they looked around enough uh in the area but that ended up being a really fun fun encounter you know so they didn't get a ton of experience they didn't really find anything all that great but it's something that's really stuck out to me it's like you they could have just gone from point a to point b but there was something interesting in the way they had you know a bit of a combat scenario but then i gave them a fun thing to explore and then there was also something that they could find so they felt like the exploration um was was rewarding to them like felt like it was rewarding. It was rewarding to them. It was rewarding at the table. I don't know why it's not like a psychological experiment. Here. Right, it was, right. It was fun to find something in the rock formation. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it's probably a, a whole nother topic, but you know, exploration is is such a compelling idea and really challenging to realize in a role playing game the way that it is realized in other mediums. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's playing a big open world you know, video game or something like that can capture that thrill of exploration and those moments where you come over the mountain just as the sun is setting and uh, it looks really cool. You know, those are hard. There's a certain type of thing that is just frankly hard to convey in like a tabletop gaming experience and you shouldn't Mm -hmm. kill yourself trying to recreate, you know, (laughs) situations um, that, you know, D&D just isn't really all that well equipped to recreate. But um, yeah. yeah. 
I don't even know why I'm playing. I'm babbling. No, you're, you're, I think what you're doing is you're lamenting that not all of your sessions are like, um, Tolkien novels. I think that's, uh, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. You know, isn't it funny yeah. though? Um, you know, I feel like there is some, there is a lesson in Tolkien's travel. You know, when you're a kid oh, yeah. and you read those books, uh, you know, I love Tolkien. I loved him as a kid, but man, those big travel sessions were boring, right? You just, they were just <laughs> tedious and you wanted to get to the cool stuff. And, just interesting to me. I, I wonder if there's a lesson for role playing as well. I, you know, as mm-hmm. I've gotten older and and potentially more mature, <laughs> I see the the value that those scenes have in the story. Like, not only do they mm-hmm. show us new things about characters, but they provide like an important pacing element to the story that mm-hmm. certainly has some relevance to a, a good D and D game, right? I suspect that there are some people listening to this for whom, like, it would be really rewarding to invest in in the travel portions of their games. And yeah. I also think that you know a lot of you know for a lot of GMs, it's going to work better just to like you know briefly summarize those travel things. Oh well, I think we should wrap it there. I think we we probably said all that we we can say about <laughs> yes, travel. Right. But uh, yeah, this is a, a an interesting topic, I think, because it, it is a little bit dis- divisive in that some people hate it, some people love it, and I'm sure lots of people have good tips and tricks. So yeah, <laughs> do reach out, um, send them in if you have them. Uh, yeah, I think. Let's see, you know what? Um, Maybe to wrap. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I yeah, it just occurred to me. You know, we spent all this time talking about travel in like a D and D fantasy type environment, but you know, mm-hmm. there's also you know, travel in like science fiction games is a mm-hmm. big deal, right? Travel is a big topic and we've really only scratched the surface. Although I've said everything that I have to say. About. <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first. Um, Andy has said that you need to add spaceships to your DVD. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, let's see, we, we can probably skip adding a topic um, on the table. I think um, Andy and I have talked a little bit about this. We might actually be resetting the table at some point. So there's your teaser for something that's upcoming. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but otherwise, I guess, yeah, any any sort of parting shots? I guess, what are you... You said you have a couple games in progress. Do you think anything's going to happen this week? Um, I think this weekend I'll be running some stuff for my family again. I don't yeah. think that the online games are going to be ready by this weekend. It'd be great if they were. Um, I'm ready to run them. It's uh, it's just a situation where everybody is way more busy than you would ever uh, imagine being stuck at home. You know. Um, yeah. No, so I I totally, I totally get yeah. it. Uh, how I don't know if this happened, but it will happen. But my wife has expressed some interest in running some Call of Cthulhu for me and my uh, my daughter. My daughter has mm. a a budding interest in the horror genre, and um, Ooh, yeah. so a good you know Call of Cthulhu is a good will be good for her. So. Yeah. How about you? Fantastic. What do you have kind of on the radar? Um, so tomorrow I have D and D. All right. Um, and we will we'll see how that goes. And this is <laughs> uh, you have you been running this campaign online for a while already, or this this will be the the second session that I've run online. So this is a, a group that's been meeting for two years or so. We used to be a weekly game, and then we shifted over to we were trying to wrap the the campaign up. And then it just wasn't going to happen that session. And now we are on session like three or four of wrapping it up. <laughs> so That is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, part of it's just like, a, you know, it's just taking me longer to kind of get to where we need to go yeah. than 
um, than I thought. But yeah, uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, we might be back next time on this podcast and be talking about like, well, we're, they're still going yep. <laughs> or we might have a, a, a wrap up session. Um, but yeah, and then I am, I'm still playing in this game called Lexicon, although I, I'm a little behind on what I'm supposed to be doing. So a friend friend of ours, Phil, is running this. It's sort of like a shared um, like writing exercise game. Um, so there's a, a wiki for it, and we're all writing articles um, in sort of in fiction. Um, so you like you write an article and you reference two articles that don't exist, and then other people will write those articles eventually. Yeah, so, so you're kind of building up this yeah you're building up this wiki about this this shared world. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I need to go back and read some stuff and, and some, write some stuff too. But yeah, so it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's the the thing that is really coming out of all this shelter in place stuff for me is thinking about like what sort of games would work well in this <laughs> in this environment, right? Like, not that you know. Hopefully, it's done pretty soon, right? But um, I'm going to be transitioning. I'm going to have a, a new baby pretty soon. Um, so that's going to change sort of my gaming life again too. Yep. So I'm trying to not be like, well, I have to, like the only way to play games is to play D and D in person, you know, once a week on Fridays, like just broaden my horizons a little bit because it's going to be, going to be different. But. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that, that's about it. But, uh, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Um, if you enjoyed this, please share it with any of your other nerds who are stuck at home. Yeah. I think there was, uh, let's see. Did we mention the few episodes earlier? That... Uh, yeah, we did not. But, uh, you know, okay. before the, uh, before the episode, Chris and I were talking a little bit if there are any episodes from our back catalog that would yeah. be, uh, relevant to you if you are kind of trying to figure out running games in a socially mm-hmm. distant, uh, environment. So uh, there are a couple that I flagged, Chris. I, our usual rule mm-hmm. for this podcast is not to do any homework or preparation, as should be mm-hmm. pretty obvious yeah. uh, if, <laughs> if you've listened to an episode. But uh, we do... Uh, I noted, if you go way back to the beginning, uh, we had an episode, episode six, we talked about the topic of uh, running role-playing games for different sized groups. So if mm-hmm. you are finding yourself stuck at home, maybe with a smaller than usual um, group of players or you're just running for a really different size group online or something like that. You might want to check out episode six. Then uh, Chris, you mentioned episode 10, how to deal with bored or distracted players, which I, you know, is always, it's relevant in any context, but uh, we're, we're all bored and distracted, you know, Uh more than usual at the moment. So, Um, (laughs) and then I guess the, the, if you are really tuning in for the first time, the, most recent episode before this one was all about uh running online games mm-hmm. so you might want to check those out all right so there we did a little bit of uh, marketing of our own uh episodes there chris how do you feel about super that? impressive all right. i feel i feel like that's probably something that better podcasters would do more often so. probably and they probably wouldn't tuck <laughs> yeah. it way at like the end of the episode either but yeah. you know yeah but, uh, okay. this is how we roll <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you all so much again for listening. I've been Chris Salzman. I have been Andy Rao. And remember, if your players are having fun, even if they're on Zoom, you're a good GM.